Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more important than that, we are very, very good friends. No matter what the... uh, no matter what anyone else tells you, we're very good friends, and right, e- Ben? Even more important than that is the fact that last week, during the time we took off from the podcast, I got to meet Sammy's new son, and that was really cool. New son? Yeah. Only I, son. Sure. Okay, let's go with <laughs> uh, Let's go with only son. Ben, um, can, your work can be found all over the internet, because I think a lot of people love to see what you've been up to lately. Why don't you tell them? Give them, give them a scoop. Give them a, a, point them in the right direction. Sure, you could find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, and at Inside Hook. And if you're interested in stuff that isn't car-related, I currently have a Kickstarter going on for the second issue of my Dead Air comic book, which is 90s college radio sci-fi with a soundtrack that asks the question, what if one day a year you could talk to the dead? And you could find that at deadaircomic.com. We have all sorts of issues left available for everybody. If you already have issue one, you're looking for issue two, it's there. If you don't have any issues, you can get them both at the same time. I know a lot of uh, people have supported us already from the podcast, and I very much appreciate it. Um, you say that it's not car related, but there's definitely, I think I've seen a car in the comics. There's a truck on the cover. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> for those who have read the book, the first issue has a truck that is actually the first truck I ever owned that, uh, my co-creator and artist, uh, colleague Joe Ng drew. It's, it's not the same color, but it's the same pickups, like an 86 F-150. And that's what I was driving in the nineties when I was in, I guess, kind of college, <laughs> that's so vague great well, it's, it, Quebec's it's, different. A, it's a long story i know <laughs> i don't want to get into what makes quebec college different but uh suffice it to say it's not it's not the same <laughs> um and you can find my work in case you were wondering i have no comic book or anything extracurricular worth mentioning but it does i does have a I, son though which is a huge extracurricular some might argue a 24 7 extracurricular yeah for multiple years of course um you can find my work um on autotrader.ca driving.ca and let's say electric autonomy canada still sounds like someone's going to show up in my door one day in a black suit and a badge and says i'm from electric autonomy canada and you're coming with me yeah, after after you publish your review on the CX90 PHEV, they might Oof. someone might drop by. Oof. But that's not the car we're talking about this week. We're it talking isn't. about uh, something far more exciting, far more uh, energizing. The polar that, opposite. Yeah, and that is the what is it called? The Jaguar F Type seventy five. The R seventy five. Sam R seventy five. Sorry. So there's a bunch of seventy fives. I can see why you would make that that uh, mistake. Uh, not a mistake, but. Basically, this is the last year for the Jaguar F-Type. It has been around 10 years now. And what they did for 2024 is they got rid of the base model from the previous year. So now everything is R. I think it's R dynamic. And it starts at like the P450. And then it goes all the way up to the R75, which is um, strangely, there's the R75 P75 Coupe and the R75 that have like the same price. And I think that might be because they sold them like during the same model year, but it might have changed the name at some point. Suffice it to say, 75 is, I guess, 75th anniversary of Jaguar. Is that what it means, Sammy? No, I believe it's the 75th anniversary of them making sports cars. Oh, okay. That's a very <laughs> that's a very random thing to say. Because celebrate. the F-Type, despite it being old, is not 75 years old, right? No, of course not. I mean, it might feel that way. Oh. 
in some areas, uh, given how fast the the world has evolved around it, which is kind of what I was hoping we could talk about. Yeah, sure. Tell me. You've driven the... We're talking specifically about the second generation. I think it's considered a second generation F-type, right? I think so, even though, I mean... There's not a big enough transition between the two gens? Yeah, this is a car that... Jaguar doesn't have a lot of money. And they've ra- they've rarely had a lot of money. And when they came out with the every app- good conversation starts with how much money the subject has, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> when the F Type came out, it was kind of a minor miracle because Jaguar had not really built a sports car in a long time. They had built the the XK, right? Which the was XK, a gra- which is a, a Grand Tour, right? A big Grand Touring car, and that car had been on the market for a long time. As is the case with Jaguar, where they tend to have their designs last a little bit longer than you know, other European luxury brands. Mm-hmm. And so the F-Type came out, and it was interesting because it wasn't as big as the XK, but it wasn't necessarily small and nimble. It was kind of in the middle. It was like a 911 fighter, I think is the best way you could put it, or maybe a Corvette fighter. Um, yeah, okay. With with more luxury. I and, would have put it somewhere near a top trim Cayman kind of car. Kind of, yeah, but I think it's bigger than a Cayman, isn't it? I think perhaps. Uh, in terms of maybe like wheelbase or length. And, you know, Cayman is an, is an interesting, an interesting um, comparator because I think vehicles like the Cayman and the Boxster were designed specifically for handling first above all yeah. else. And yeah. I don't think that's the case for the F-Type, which is kind of why I was leaning it more towards the 911. No, I get it. I agree with you. The F-Type is very much a daily driver kind of car. Like it's not a car you buy necessarily to go to the racetrack. And I think that's also a 911 spec kind of thing. Like the Cayman, I would think more buyers who, who anyone who owns a Cayman is at least thought about going to a racetrack. Otherwise, they would have spent that money on a 911, I think. Okay. I mean, uh, I would always think that it was the 911, that it was 911 desirable, desirability without the, the budget. For maybe, some, yeah. for, for maybe more mainstream approach. I mean, pricing-wise, it's certainly between the Corvette when it came out and the 911, mm-hmm. right? It was kind of like sitting there in the middle. Uh, what, what also separates it from vehicles like the Cayman and also the 911 is its front engine. You could mm-hmm. initially get it with a V6 or a V8, and the V8, I believe, the, both both those engines were always supercharged. What was funny is, I, and I believe this is true of the engine in the F-Type, Sammy, isn't the V6 version of the Jaguar just the V8 with two of the cylinders filled in? Is that st- was that? I thought that was temporary. I don't know if that's still happening. Temporary. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's the case. For a long time, Jaguar. The AJV8. Is that what we're talking about? The 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 the, the code of this engine. I think perhaps that is what we're talking about. Okay, hit me with this. This is so funny. Well, I mean, for for a long time, Jaguar again did not have a lot of money, and as a result, they didn't want to design a completely different. Um, engine for their V6 model. But at the mm-hmm. same time, they also didn't want to, I guess, cast a different block. <laughs> so they just built one block. And for the V8 cars, all all the cylinders had pistons. But for the V6 cars, two of the cylinders did not. So Yes, two rear cil- the rear two cylinders blanked. That's what they're saying here. And that's great from a cost-cutting perspective, but the weird thing about it is you end up having your less powerful car carrying around the same amount of weight as the more powerful car. So you're kind of giving it like a double dose of performance penalty, if you catch what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, but, it's that's ridiculous. I mean, it's so funny. It is funny, but it's little quirks and weird things like that that kind of endeared me to the F-Type. I actually 
like the V6 version, I think, more than the V8. When it what? First, yeah, because when it first came out, one of the other things that I really enjoyed about the F-Type was the the pleasure, the oral pleasure audio what experience. What's <laughs> what's the, the trademark catchphrase that we have for that? Performance sound uh, thing? What was Performance it? sound pleasure experience? Something yes. Like that. <laughs> so the F-Type, the V6, it sounded really good. And it had a great exhaust. It had great exhaust tuning and it had great burbles and stuff. And this was right at the beginning of the era where every car started to burble when you would downshift mm-hmm. or when you would hit a hard upshift on, on the transmission. And because they were all automatics, you could just kind of cruise around town with the exhaust in its most aggressive mode and just pop the exhaust all the time. And this is before that made you annoying. Like, <laughs> yeah, when th- we liked it. Now we hate it. Now we hate it. Every car just popping and banging everywhere. And I think the reason why we hate it is because there are now so many four-cylinder cars that do that. <laughs> yeah. And they objectively sound the worst at it. There are like a few that are okay, but in general, it's not something I want to hear or to be subjected to. Well, you get this buzzy sound and then suddenly a bunch of popping and you're like, what on earth just happened? Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like firecrackers. It's very yeah. much like firecrackers. So Agreed. I, I thought it was a lot of fun when the car came out. I enjoyed it. It looked good. It was a. It's the example I still use today when I'm talking about body shape and um, passenger, not passenger, sorry, pedestrian safety, where if you look at the change in cars over the last 20 years when North American automakers began to um, realize that if they wanted to sell cars in Europe, they had to start meeting pedestrian safety regulations. And okay. a lot of the pedestrian safety in Europe was much more aggressive in terms of how a car would impact a pedestrian and what would happen after impact. So American cars were often, or cars made for the American market had these kind of sloping hoods that would undercut a pedestrian at the legs. And then the pedestrian would be thrown up on the hood. And when a, someone who's walking gets hit by a car and is thrown on the hood, that's generally when the most damage is made when their head impacts against that metal. So the European regulations required much flatter and taller hoods so that when someone was hit, they wouldn't be pushed onto the hood. They would be pushed away or their head would not make contact with the uh, wouldn't be wedged in such a way where it would make contact with the metal. So you started to see cars that came out that were awkward looking in the sense that their front ends were kind of snubbed. The, The grills were taller. Even sports cars had this kind of taller look up front. And then the F type came out. And it looks very, very, very sleek. It looks yes. almost as though it's kind of a throwback to older sports car styling. But if you get close to an, an F-Type and look at it, it has an upright front grille. There's no slope mm-hmm. there at all. And it's amazing how well Jaguar's designers were able to trick the eye into ignoring the fact that it's flat at the front. Like, if you look at it, you just don't see it. I think that in the current generation, the 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 second version that you were referring to earlier, it's more noticeable. Yes. But when it first came out, I was really impressed with that design. I can understand. First of all, the second generation, it just has a a way bigger grill. And I think that uh, exaggerates that upright, you know, sort of behavior. But one of the things you're really you're really drilling in on with the F-Type when it came out back in 2013 is that I think it was a very attractive car. I still think it's a very attractive car. And I think it's one of the things that that just really stand out um, about the model altogether. Yeah, it was it was a gorgeous car. And and you know, nothing against the 911 of that time. I'm not saying it was an unattractive car, but I don't think it was necessarily graceful or beautiful in the same way. And I think that that really helped draw a lot of eyes towards Jaguar in that moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's also worth mentioning um that a lot of people 
I don't know if a lot of people, maybe the marketing suggested that this would be, um, the spirit, this was the spiritual successor to the, the famous E-type, which is, um, sort of known as an iconic or one of the most, um, well-designed cars or most attractive cars. Definitely a beautiful um, car. But it's always funny to talk about that because it's not, like I said, it's not their last coupe, right? Or the, it's not the only coupe they've made. They've had the XK before that, but you know, maybe that just really didn't hit the mark the way this F-Type did in terms of this just being something sleeker, right? And the other thing, too, when you're comparing the XK and the F-Type is the XK was not available with a V6. You know, it was... It, oh, it was, was, it was 8 only. Yeah, this is the first... Well, and, and the previous and model... the 12. The 12 in, in the 90s yeah. and the 80s. So this was the first time Jaguar had come out with, like, a family of sports cars where you could theoretically buy one and then upgrade later if you wanted to. And they, they expanded that family a few years after the launch with the four-cylinder version. And uh, yeah. they also added a manual transmission. Did we get the four-cylinder in North America? I believe we did. Yeah, we did. I see them for sale from time to time. I don't remember driving one. Is that strange? It's not strange. Uh, I feel like I've driven all kinds of V8s and six-cylinders and manuals and automatics and all-wheel drives and rear-wheel drives, but not a four-cylinder. No, what I can't remember is whether the six-speed six was available with the four-cylinder and the V6 or just the V6. I think it was just the six. So this is, again... And that was late, too, if I it remember. It was quite late. I want to say yeah. 2016 or 2017, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what I also remember about the the manual transmission, and this is very rare for me, the F Type is one of the few cars where I enjoyed it more with the automatic. Nah, because I, there's all the, you say this about some cars, and I'm always like, I don't think so. Well, the, when for me it was a sound or a, a performance sound pleasure thing because yeah, okay, it just doesn't sound the same in terms of exhaustible. Yeah, and I talk- because the the automatic played games with the, with its with the with the engine in some way right? yeah i talked to some engineers at jaguar and they told me that they they had to retune the ecu when they put the manual transmission in and as a result they weren't able to do the same kind of overrun that they had with the automatic transmission so that's so funny um i you know it, it's it just wasn't i guess that's engage- funny i i mean i get it i, I totally understand it, it just kind of points out how engagement as a driver is linked to more than just one thing right like well, maybe that's why so many automakers now are, when they're talking about their electric vehicles, are focusing on the audio of the of that vehicle because there's a there's a connection there, right? There can be. It can definitely be your way into developing developing a relationship with a with a specific model for sure. Interesting. Uh, keep keep talking to me about this though, because the history of this car it's been around for uh, ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Wow. And. and I, I kind of want to say that in that period, if you're looking at European sports cars, the thing that comes the closest to matching what the F-Type set out to do would be the AMG GT. No, the AMG GT feels huge in comparison to this. I don't know. I I think that the car is maybe bigger than you remember it. Okay, I, maybe. I don't, I don't think it's <laughs> Maybe substantial... it just has a massive Mercedes grill, and I just that's that's how I measure all, you know, all cars, <laughs> based on how big their badge is. Front engine, V8, two-seat coupe. There's not a lot out there in that time period that's not exotic. I mean, I guess you could argue the AMG GT is an exotic, but it's not exotic in the same way like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini is, right? That's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, so, okay, talk to me about that. I, well, I've I've skipped that sometimes, that comparison. Well, I the reason I bring it up is because I think that towards the end of its life, the AMG GT eclipsed the F-Type. I think it kind of took what the F-Type was doing and elevated it in a way that Jaguar wasn't able to do because they just weren't able to invest in the platform in the same way. And okay. I think the AMG GT also 
was an interesting comparator because Jaguar made a bunch of different models of the F-Type, right? Mm-hmm. They they wasn't there a uh, Project Seven? Was that an based on an F-Type? I believe that's um, yeah. It's a very I think it's a limited edition kind of car. I don't even know if there's more than. Is there more than one? I don't know, but the reason I bring that up is because there are very there are many different versions of the AMG GT. Some of them are oh, yes. some of them are oriented towards track driving. Some of them are just you know fun in the sun convertible style like the F Type. But I kind of feel like with the with the Mercedes, you could get a harder edge than you could get in the F Type. I feel like the F Type had a limit and it stayed there, and Mercedes pushed past that limit. And then when I was driving this new one, the 2024, it had been a few years since I'd driven um, the F Type, and I could really, in comparison to more modern sports cars or, or grand touring cars, if you want to even go there, you can really feel the old bones inside the Jaguar. Interesting. Tell me more. What do you? How do you? How would you? Um, how would you explain that to somebody who's never, you know, felt that before? It's 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 like a snapshot of five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. It just in terms of how it feels behind the wheel. So you have this, it's 575 horsepower. It's all-wheel drive, supercharged V8. It has an eight-speed automatic transmission. You can get a rear-wheel drive one in Europe, but yeah. um, in, in North America, all the R75s... They don't trust us with that. <laughs> yeah, all the R75s are all-wheel drive. Uh, it's $115,000 US, which is like a pretty big jump over the $80,000 for the base model, which has, I want to say, 444 horsepower. So again, a pretty big difference. But uh, in Canada, it's 135,000. The one I drove was 135 because I had to pay for Carpathian Gray on the outside and okay. an extended leather interior, which just means every surface you touch is leather. Uh, Thank but goodness. In in terms of how it drives, it's it's less fluid. It I like that ZF eight speed transmission. It's yeah. an excellent gearbox, but in the F type, it's not quite as smooth as you would expect in some other implementations of of the the shifting logic of when it decides to shift and how it executes those shifts i'm not saying it's bad but you can tell it's not quite as razor sharp as it should be and the suspension is quite stiff uh, i obviously okay. drove it during the winter so the roads are, you know i get frost heaves it's a little bit bouncy and i knew that i was in a sports car or a sports car pretender the entire time i was driving like at that price, it is beating you up a little bit more than I think you would expect. Um, it's interesting you brought up the AMG GT. I think maybe the Jaguar was around, yeah, for two more years than the uh, than the AMG was. But it sold 30,000 more units in the U.S. compared to the AMG, which I, I was caught off guard. I thought the Mercedes machine would would be able to sell more of them. I think part of that is pricing because there's no V6 version. There's no entry-level amg gt drivetrain yeah really like there kind of is but not really no it's just as you mentioned there's no v6 or it's just a it's a it's an, a v8 or a more powerful v8 yes I think. I, so i think that <laughs> i think that keep, kept some people away from the car even though i think it's maybe the most compelling mercedes of the last decade um, just just in terms of like i'm not saying i'm not i'm not talking about supercars or anything like that just like mainstream mercedes it models. was very good you're right it's very good and i can understand the sort of connection you're you're drawing between the two because there are cars that i don't care what they like look like or or are are to interface with like in terms of infotainment or whatever I just want to be in them. I want to drive them. I want to. I want to be with them all the time. And I think the F Type and the AMG GT are kind of like that. Well, so I would have agreed with you until I drove this one the most recently. Okay. Because I I 
Think, well, you drove in some weird conditions, like you mentioned. Well, for me, getting back to the idea that this kind of feels like a snapshot of five years ago, the mm-hmm. interior is where it comes out the most. Okay. It really does feel lesser than a current luxury car. Uh, not, yeah, not this, materials feel a little kind of like not anticlimactic, I think is the best way to say it. Yeah, There's you, nothing special. You got a small screen. It's it's very hard to get Android Auto working. I had constantly <laughs> plug and replug my phone over and over and over. And I know that sounds like a minor gripe to make, but if you're spending this much money on a car, you don't want minor gripes, right? You want right. you want a great experience all around. This it's also quite small inside in the sense that space isn't managed super well. There's not a ton of room for keeping anything. Uh, I it was winter, still is when I was driving it. So I there were some things that I couldn't put in the hatch because I didn't want them exposed to the cold. So just little things okay, like yeah, that yeah. when you're driving. Uh, anyway, it's still a fun car. And well, you, hold on, I want to go back to your 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 issues. You had an electrical issue in a Jaguar, or in terms of connectivity with the infotainment system. Yeah, it's very old school infotainment. And I just laugh at that because I think this 75, R75 model is supposed to be this commemoration, this great big moment where you're supposed to be like, yes, Jaguar, you did it. And it still has like electrical issues. So like you're saying this. maybe like, it's on purpose. Yeah, it's a reminder of, Jag- of Jaguar, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and another thing that I thought was odd in terms of feature set was there was no adaptive cruise. Interesting. And I don't know if that's just because it's optional on this car, but I would state that for 135000 Canadian, you should have that option installed because i can get it on nearly any car costing a quarter of that price uh, or even (laughs) 20 percent of that price (laughs) so that was that was strange so that was another i I won't call it off-putting but again it puts you back in the past it makes you feel like you're driving something that's older but kind of balancing all that out it is very quick i mean it's three and a half seconds to 60 miles an hour yeah that's i mean no matter crazy (laughs) for a gas-powered car too these days that's very quick yeah no matter how you slice it that is a fast car and uh i know that the corvette is faster the 911 is faster but really do you need to be faster than that i don't i don't really think you do (laughs) um and the the other thing that it has going in its favor is, as we were talking about earlier, it still looks really good, even not quite as eye-catching as the original when it first came out. But I get a lot of attention in this car, and pe- whether it was pedestrians kind of stopping and slowing to watch me drive by, or other drivers smiling or whatnot, because it's a little less common than a 911, it does get more attention. People don't necessarily know what it is. They just see it and they instantly know that it is something special. And I think that that's difficult to design into any kind of vehicle. And I think Jaguar really achieved that with the F-Type. Or they hear it and they can they know it's something special. No, I mean, even if I was driving quietly, people were, people were still... Because I don't know if people associate noise with special because there's, like we were talking about, there's so oh, many... Oh, yeah. Everybody's modified their, yeah, their everyone, BMW to do it. Exactly. <laughs> So it's, okay, it's, that's fair. We're used to hearing that now, but we're not used to seeing a shape like the Jaguar. But I think the the engine sounds more than just the exhaust burble. Yeah, yeah, of and that's course. why I think it's okay. it's it sounds great. And you know, personality has always been this car's calling card, and I think it's managed to maintain most of that personality throughout its entire run. And 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 I'm sad that it's going away because nothing like it will mm-hmm. ever be built again. It's just not going to happen. You know, I, I think that agreed. Yeah, if we're but th- I mean be, Jaguar. I'm concerned about Jaguar because I, th- I don't think they've made a, a new product in quite some time, like an all-new product in a, in a no, long time. No, they're going all electric. That's their whole thing. So Man, we- I heard from somebody that they 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 scrapped the all-electric XJ 
Yes, they did. At the at the last second. Yeah, but like I it was finished. <laughs> but Jaguar as a brand, if we see Jaguars in the future, they will be EV only. Uh, when we're on the on the subject of two door V eight powered cars with personality, thinking about the Lexus LC. Okay, that car is maybe what the XK could have been. I feel like that's the evolution of the XK. Okay, where it's 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 gorgeous to look at, like. Next level gorgeous, sumptuous interior, V8 engine, um, simple driving dynamics, simple but good. And it's kind of like if Jaguar had had the money to keep developing the XK and we and we got an XK and an F-Type. I mean, that's, I think, maybe where we would have ended up, you know? That would have been very difficult for them to pull off. Um, I think they would have had to change the pricing of the vehicles entirely because I think the XK would have to be the, the kind of like hey, flag, not... What would you call it? A, a flagship kind yeah. of coupe, right? Because you, then you could have Grand just, Tour, but you could have made a V6 F Type and a V8 XK. Yeah, and that might have worked, just like we had the Cayman with the smaller motor and no yeah, tur- maybe, and no turbo maybe, for like a super long time. It's happening out there somewhere in the multiverse, <laughs> <laughs> the Jaguar verse, because where like, they succeeded and did not. Uh, they are not a poor, cheap company now. Because <laughs> is the LC the only remaining front engine Grand Tour with personality out there? Where do the Astons not have that? Aston Martin is a whole nother level of money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that I'm talking. We weren't talking about money. We were talking about engine placement, and I think it's a bit of a flagship. And I think that's that's like a Grand Tour. Sometimes it's an expensive ride. But is there another a car that's in the hundred thousand dollar mark? No, nah, I don't know. I don't think so. Like you got you got to eliminate the exotics because Lexus is as much as they might want to think. So I mean, they've made the one exotic, <laughs> yeah. and the LC is not that. The LC is something else. That's so, right. But but the LC is is an exceptional car, and I, I just kind of feel like personality wise, when I look at the market, I just don't see anything else out. Now with the F type disappearing mm-hmm. at the AMG GT, I don't think currently on sale anymore. I think we're in a bit of a gap here, but we wait for the new one. Is that if that's possible? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I think our, I think there's always something. I always it think might there's be something. on sale. Um, but I imagine that our, our maybe our listeners can help us uh, find that that lost car. <laughs> I mean, personality wise, like I'm not just I'm not talking about performance or anything. Like, yeah, th- that old school front engine style. Yeah, like the old Mercedes CLs. You know, like those those were. I thought those were neat. They were yeah. basically two door S classes. We just don't really have anything stepping into Eight that series. Cap. Isn't really there. It's a turbo now, right? It's, it's everything is turbocharged on that. Mm, I don't is think it still being sold? I don't dislike the eight series, but I don't think it has personality. Oof. I, I can't find an I can't find an AMG GT for sale uh right now on the AMG site. I think that we're kind of in a No, we're out. We're that's done. I believe, as far as I understand, the AMG GT, I think um spiritually, they think that it's the new SL. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if that's possible. I don't, you know, I have not driven the new SL yet, so I can't say. I'm skeptical. Sorry. So just uh, wrapping things up in the F-Type, I'm glad I got a chance to say goodbye. I am going to miss it. I don't think we'll see something like it again. And I think that's too bad. Uh, I think that there'll be a generation of drivers who will miss out on that experience. And uh, I'm not saying that we won't get cool cars in the future. I just think that that particular type of cool car has had its moment. Uh, That's fair. I think that's appropriate. Um, anything else you want to mention before we switch uh, gears and talk about another car that maybe 
Well, I mean, I don't think it's as interesting as the F type, but it's definitely worth talking about. No, I think that's I think that's I think that's it for me. The car I recently drove was the 2024 Subaru Outback, um, specifically the Onyx trim. And here I'm going to be I'm going to be 100% honest. I have um, two Outbacks. I purchased two with my own money. You own uh, two Outbacks at the same time? Yes, right now by accident I Look, own two. But <laughs> I don't know what the podcast is paying you, but it's got to be way more than what it's paying me. Outback money, baby. Wow. Um, I've got a 2010 and a 2020 model, um, and I drove the 2024 version, and I could not help think nobody should buy. No, people should probably not buy this. Like, okay, back up for a second. Yeah, what does Onyx mean? Like, what does that change Onyx about the Outback? Is if I was going to dumb it, dumb it down a little bit. Wait, you have to dumb down <laughs> the Onyx. How complex is it when it's not dumbed down? It's it it. It's like the wilderness model without the interesting parts. Uh, what? As in the turbo and the added ground clearance. And the gold bits? And the gold bits, yeah. Please tell but me the only Onyx... funny thing is that there's also a turbo turbo version of the Onyx Edition, which I also would not recommend. I would still not recommend. Okay, it's so just the, that's the cheapest turbo version of the car you can get. Does the Onyx add any black to the car? Like, is that, Oh, yeah. Is, does the name? Okay. It adds... Um, Black badges, it adds um, black mirrors, and it adds something else that's black. I can't remember now. Um, wheels, of course. Black wheels. When you say black, what do you think of that? When you say black mirrors, you don't mean like the TV show where the future hates us? You mean like... No, I mean the mirror caps on the outside just don't look like they've been painted the same color as the rest of the car. Okay, yeah. Like they forgot to paint them. <laughs> no, they painted it the wrong color, black. So they just, they just put all the mirrors in a big bag, and then they shook yeah. up that bag... <laughs> And they just grab the first mirrors. Yeah. Put, okay. Go. Okay. I understand. Lovely, how cars right? Are, I understand manufacturing. <laughs> the inside of the vehicle is also uh, slightly different than other um, Outbacks. It uses a different material, different upholstery, something that was described as all weather or water repellent upholstery. Wait a minute. Which is to weather? say it's... It's not, huh? a con- it's not a convertible. Why is the why is it being exposed to weather? That's my concern. Water repellent upholstery. So if you leave uh, which, the moonroof open... Sure. Does it have a moonroof? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that is something that feels awful. Does not feel very nice to touch, and uh, felt very cheap. Send me uh, I would have preferred. I would have preferred cloth or leather. What if you're not wearing shorts like you always wear? Yeah, still don't like it. Okay. Cloth, man, that would have been great. There's a couple of leathered bits here and there, but uh, the, the 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 thing is, this car, um, as equipped, was just over. Um, $36,000. There is a better trimmed version of the Outback called the Limited, which is slightly cheaper. So I think you should get that one. How and slight? it is 35.7 compared to 36.1. Wow, that is almost no difference. And what, yeah, but what's it has the, better equipment. What's the gear so that you get? Leather-trimmed tr- leather interior. It has, um, let's see, it's got, I had other things. Hold on. I have it all here. Does it have extended leather like the R75? No, it does not have R extended leather. Come on now. Be be reasonable, Ben. Um I um I got to get my notes out, Ben. You caught it's me. It's almost again. like you could have done that at the beginning of the show. I mean, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to suggest something crazy. <laughs> oh yeah, power seats, man. It did not have power adjustable uh passenger seats. It didn't have uh heated rear seats. The Limited has both of those features. Um you know, just smart amenities that I think are worth having. Um, what do I what do I like? I like those um, 
memory seats, you know? So you're saying this so, is this is kind of like a weird placeholder trim. Why does it exist? Like what's the is is there a big jump between this trim and the one below it? Yeah, maybe about uh, $5,000 between those two. And what are you getting for that $5,000? Cuz that seems like a power, I think you would you you're getting a power lift gate, I think is the most important thing. You're getting the the moonroof as standard. Okay, those you're are getting, two those are two fairly expensive options. Yes. Uh, so I think those are the mo- those are among the more important things. Bigger wheels, 18s rather than um, 17s. I don't know if that's enough to th- make me spend five thousand dollars when I could spend yeah when I could spend like fifty three hundred dollars and get, it and get <laughs> you can get everything else. That's way better. So if if you wanted to get it, and you said the non turbo motor is not good. Yeah, that is one of my biggest sticking points here is uh, the turbocharged version of the the latest generation out, uh, Outback. That turbo motor, I think, is a must. I think if you're if you're looking at an Outback, you really should not. You should really discredit most of the non turbo models. They're what, they're how not much horsepower in the non turbo model. A hundred and eighty four. And that's a fairly let me double check. That's Hold a on. fairly heavy vehicle, right? Yeah, it it and it it's not just is it like underpowered it's loud it's it just takes up it it just is not the fit man it is not what you want how much of that do you think is cbt related <laughs> i think 100 of that no i actually i don't think it's it's all cbt really 182 horsepower and 176 pound feet of torque i need to point out that torque figure is almost identical to what i have in my 2010 outback i actually as which has a manual transmission and to me feels way more responsive obviously than this uh this heavy overworked turbo i mean uh, naturally aspirated 2.5 in these vehicles it is really the the lowest point of this of this outback it and is it's one of the things that really makes it if that's your first impression you will come away saying why on earth would anyone buy that car? and this is one of those areas where subaru in the pursuit of trying to keep their fuel mileage reasonable has kind of hit a wall i think sure and it and the, the fuel mileage was fairly decent i got uh let me get it um it was eight liters per hundred kilometers um which is what 25 and, miles per gallon that's not super good, but it's not awful, I suppose. Um, yeah. So this is this is me basically pleading people: if you are looking at an Outback, do not be fooled by the starting price of these things, which is apparently thirty, uh, just under thirty thousand dollars. So that's twenty nine miles per gallon. I was I was I was wrong, okay. which is pretty decent. That is much better. Yeah. Um, the starting price of these things, according to Subaru, which is advertised everywhere, is twenty eight eight hundred. Ignore that. Ignore that entirely. You have to at least consider the forty thousand dollar turbocharged versions of this car. Forty. Um, yeah. That's thirty nine. Thirty nine thousand is the uh, is the Onyx Edition XT, and so much of my problems with the vehicle would be solved if it had a turbocharged motor. But that's a ten thousand dollar difference. Yeah, man. That's a lot of money to ask someone to like. I think but the that, wilderness is the wilderness is six hundred dollars more than that. But what, but what I'm saying though is that's the cheapest way to get turbo. Yeah. So you have to spend ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what. So this is where I'm coming from. What I bought is a 2010, and I bought that because 2020. It's uh, sorry, 2020. Yeah, I did buy a 2010, but I also bought a, a recently. I bought a 2020, and the main reason I bought that is because it had the turbocharged engine. It was the latest generation vehicle, and it has most of the features that I was really looking forward to, which is heated seats, heated steering wheel, Android Auto, um, navigation, 
And I think that was it. Um, now, now, counterpoint, though. Yes. When you're saying don't buy the base engine in the Outback, buy the turbo instead, and then you say it has a $10,000 price tag to get that, I think yeah. what you're really telling people is don't buy the Outback, buy a competitor. I'm telling people don't buy a new one. I think you can save so much money by buying um, a used version like I did. I think that's very clever. I think it's smart. Um, but if, but you're, if you're worried about warranties or, or longevity yeah, or resale value, or leasing yeah, or take something a look. like that. So what Absolutely. would you what would you say is a better choice for someone at that $30,000 mark? Now, the tough point is that $30,000 mark because at that price point, you're almost stuck to compact crossovers. Um, which sometimes just don't feel as spacious as the Outback, especially in terms of cargo space. Um, so like RAV4, maybe, um, especially if you get the hybrid model, you'll be really impressed with that. And I don't think those ones, I think those ones are, are about $30,000. Um, and then Sportage is, uh, is among my favorite um, vehicles in this class. Let me double check the price on that because I do think it's somewhere in the $30,000 mark. Um, sorry, not sport, Sportage. Sorrento. Sorrento is what I was thinking. Yeah, Sorrento, Sorrento is definitely similarly is the sized. one that I'm is the one that I'm thinking of. And you can get a three-row. It three starts row at around thirty. Yeah, it starts around thirty-two thousand. Not only can you get a, a three-row, you can get a you can get a turbocharged model, I believe, or, or I think it comes standard with a turbo. It comes with a hybrid. You can get a plug-in hybrid version of it. There's so many more options with that vehicle. Is all-wheel drive um, standard at the at that price point? Uh, let me double check. Because I would say if you don't want, if you want to evade the penalty that comes with that entry level Subaru motor, going to the Sorento gives you, I mean, similar interior size, if not a little bit bigger because you have that third row available, uh, but you're not going to be losing out on cargo or anything like that. No. So at at that $32,000 mark, it just comes with um, a 2.5 liter four cylinder engine, which is really wimpy sounding, 191 horsepower. Um, you probably want to get into the. Let me see which one I would recommend. Oh, yeah, all of these ones. Holy cow. That's so much horsepower. <laughs> so much horsepower. What is it? The EX, um, which is $37,000. Yeah, but now you're at the same price as the, as the turbo. But that, this thing has a 2.5 turbo. It's got a dual clutch transmission, 281 horsepower, I think this 311 pound-feet of torque. I think this is just kind of underscoring your point that it's hard to find something at that $30,000 level. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. I, I, and I think a while back I talked about the um, Atlas, Cross, uh, Atlas Cross Sport. Um, which is huge, like absolutely a massive vehicle um, and uses a turbocharged two liter four cylinder and it felt pretty good. Um, that would have been um, space wise, that would have been a really worthy competitor, but I think it's very expensive as well. Um, and then one other model that's worth pointing out in this class is really um, long in the tooth is the Honda Passport. Um, has all the space that you would want in a vehicle in this class and it uses a naturally aspirated V6. So you don't have to worry about the the turbocharged doodads or the CVTs or anything like that. And I think um, it's the last year for this model, right? Yeah, I think they updated with the with the platform and in tech from the new pilot. Now, but that one also used the naturally aspirated six. I drove a Passport. I want to say three or four months ago, and it made very little impression on me. Like it was, it, it has was the worst infotainment system. It was like perfectly fine, but other than that, you know, nothing really stood out. But it's not a very modern feeling vehicle. That infotainment yeah. system was really disappointing. The gauge cluster is really disappointing. But definitely but capability, power. definitely yeah, more power than the Outback. Capability, space, and uh, and and power is is what it's got. 
So it's very tough. I would I would say that class is is tough to shop um, on a budget, and that's why I would recommend someone probably consider going um, used. And this and that's what I did. You know, we're reflecting the fact that cars are just getting more and more expensive. And it's crazy because they keep, they also keep getting bigger. But I don't know if this class has much more of a of a life, right? No, like of, a li- of a lifespan. Eventually, the compact crossovers are getting are getting there, right? The problem is, well, what what always ends up happening is, as cars get bigger, they just add another smaller model at the bottom, right? And they push everything up a class. Yeah. But fuel mileage wise, cars just can't keep getting infinitely larger <laughs> because your smaller engines that you already have in the pipeline aren't going to be able to, you're going to end up with this Outback situation where you have something yeah. that gets decent fuel mileage, but is a penalty box to drive around town. Yep, that's fair. Absolutely. So it's 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 a tough situation that we're all in because car companies can't stop making cars bigger. <laughs> but Subaru has like this, they have like a problem. They have like a, an issue. I think they, a lot of their cars, the optional engine, well, maybe I'm, I'm just saying maybe two of their cars or three of their cars. No, maybe four of their cars. Four of their cars. Four of their how many cars? There's six cars? (laughs) Yeah. Four of their cars. The optional engine is what the standard engine should be. Yes. I completely agree. (laughs) And and the two reasons why Subaru is in this situation is because they refuse to move away from boxer engines and they refuse to move away from standard all-wheel drive. Yeah. And uh, the the standard all-wheel drive thing I can kind of understand because it's become their marketing identity. But the boxer engine thing, people do not care. Absolutely people don't do know what it means no. whatsoever. You could have a basket of snakes under the hood making that power. <laughs> it would no one would even look. So it, it's puzzling to me why they insist on sticking to it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a struggle. It's a struggle to talk about this because, like I said, I, I am a, a an Outback owner, and I really wouldn't recommend anything on like like this this was really a, a disappointing drive um and to make sure that i was not losing my mind i asked my wife to give it a, a spin around the block and she was like where's the where's the beef here where it this is super loud very slow didn't have a memory seats it was uh really disappointing to her and then you lost the pink slips to her in a race with your <laughs> own right. outback that's right she took off so what do i do now um, that's, wait, wait, no, there's one more piece of news that I really wanted to talk about. Yes. Sorry, I almost, I almost ended the podcast prematurely. Um, Ford, you know that automaker Ford? Yes, I've heard of Ford. They have, um, investors and they wanted to tell their investors <laughs> something really important. They're going to be trimming, um, its expenses by $2 billion. Okay. And one of the ways they're going to do that is by removing features in cars. Everyone loves it when you remove a feature. What are we losing? Do, do you remember when the the during the pandemic there was that chip shortage and then you couldn't have heated lost, seats we, in a BMW, we, yeah, or touch screens or USB ports in some cars. Yeah, it was always like a seemingly random feature that you wouldn't think was associated with a chip, but yes, and then. Um, now Ford is just, uh, they didn't need a chip shortage. They're just like, forget it. We don't need it. They're getting rid of the very important feature of automatic parallel parking. Oh, okay. Sammy, how many times as a professional have you used automatic parallel parking? As a professional, I've used it maybe, let's say, five times in the past uh, year. Have you had in the past year? Yeah. I would say I've used it five times in my entire life. <laughs> and yeah. I, will, I will tell you why. Because... Parking is something I want to get done and then get out. It is not, it's not something, a gimmick. It's not a, it's not a gimmick, gimmicked item that needs to be done. It's not something I want to celebrate. It's not something I want to be wowed by. 
And or show off to, yeah. Every one of these automated parallel parking systems, the parallel parking systems in particular are guilty of this. <laughs> they take forever to work because there's a whole sequence of events. When you, you, have look, to, they, you have to make sure the car sees the spot that yes, you want to get into. Which means you have, to, you have to already be in the parking mode as you drive by the spots because yeah. if you see a spot and then you're like, oh, I can get in there and then activate the parking mode, chances are it's too late. Like you, you've moved by it and it's not going to see it. So that's one of the steps that's annoying. Then the car has to make the most... The, the the most fiddly adjustments it can with the steering wheel and drive as slowly as possible because there's a lawyer somewhere who is like, we can't exceed this maximum speed no. to eliminate liability to the best point. And I, my most memorable of these parking experiences was I had a Volvo XC90. And I want to say this is like 10 years ago or something. Okay. And I'm parking in front of my house and there's a ton of room, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. See how Volvo's got this going. And Vol- the Volvo pulls into the spot... <laughs> Pops the rear wheel up onto the sidewalk, straightens out, quote unquote, and then on the, on the, it puts it in a park. And on the center screen, there's this big message, all proud, that says, parking accomplished. And I'm like half on the sidewalk. And the car didn't care. And I'm not talking about like it rolled up on the sidewalk, like it bounced over the curb to do this. No way. Yes. Okay. My, uh, my recent experience with it has been... Um, I believe it's a little bit faster, and you can hit the brake to slow it down. Oh, you can definitely. The, well, why would I have to do that? Like, then it's no, not automatic one, parking. One minute. <laughs> the thing I've noticed now, I haven't used it for the parallel parking system. I used it for the perpendicular reversing, just because I would test it in my in my old parking spot. It would spin the the it would spin the wheel so fast and so violently to do it, and it was always so jarring to do that. But I always and me and my wife both really love it when when it would finish and it would say parking completed or whatever, and it would make this adorable little, little ding. Oh, like, it's so proud! It wants a gold star so badly. I've done it. So now um, all Fords, current and future, will no longer have this feature. Which is a shame. I think we will miss that, that little moment of joy of a car being proud of itself. You always wondered, can computers celebrate you know, the, their own accomplishments? And I thought they did every time they parked themselves. It was and a you useless said, feature, and I'm glad it's gone. The only deci- One of the only removed features that I think was a good choice. Um, I'm hoping attention monitors are next because I was driving a vehicle recently where every time I looked in the side mirror to see traffic beside me, the car would scold me to tell me to look at the road ahead. Like, and I'm just talking like I turned my eyes to look at the mirror, you know? It's a motivational. It's like, look, at, look, look forward, never backwards. Maybe right? because I'm turning left, I actually need to look at that mirror. But no, the car is like, you are only allowed to look in one direction and you must be looking there 99% of the time. Um, you can't even use the, the infotainment system. Like it's like you look at the infotainment system. It's like ah ah, that's not yeah, for you. Yeah, that's that's a message to the own to the to the vehicle's own um, playing department. I think. Stop looking here. This Make is this the, better. We put this here for you to look at, but if you look at it, you're so in trouble. Yeah, so we're gonna get you. Um, you're gonna remove a gold star. You're gonna go home. It's gonna be a gold star off your wall. Just no. gone. Who decided there were gonna be gold stars? Well, gold is the. I mean, stars are made of gold, Sammy. You didn't know that, are they? I Sammy, what do you? What is your? My question: What's your degree in? Um, I'm looking at it right now. It says media studies. Media studies, not star studies, right? <laughs> no, not or, star or astronomy. 
Star Chemistry. Star Academy. (laughs) I'll have you know that I I graduated from Star Academy. I'm sure you did. And the first thing I learned there is that stars are made of gold and sometimes silver. (laughs) That's how you get the shimmer, really. That's right. Ben, what are we what are we going to tell people now? We're going to tell them where they can find our latest work and how to get in touch with us. Not our latest um, work, but maybe how to get in touch with us. Yeah, sure. Head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. I'm going to say that a little bit clearer because apparently I had some peanut butter before the podcast. Aaron uh, Burr. Un- <laughs> unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You hit, on, you hit that and uh, you'll see all of our previous episodes. You'll see... Um, ways to get in touch with us, a contact form. You just fill that out and it lands in our inbox. And we love to hear from you guys. We're, we're, we've got a couple of great questions that we'll bring up maybe next week. And um, there's also ways to subscribe to the podcast on the on the website. A bunch of buttons, you click them, and you'll, and you'll just jump into a podcaster and bam, you're subscribed. Another way to get in touch with us, though, is to email us the old-fashioned way. It's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. And then you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And uh, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? I believe I've just driven a car that's under embargo. And I don't think the embargo will be up until um, actually after the next week's episode. So let's say I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about the Toyota Prius. To- okay. Just the normal Prius? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, I'm going to be talking about either the Mazda CX-90 PHEV, which was an experience, or the Ionic, uh, Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive, which I'm actually having a blast with right now, booting around on snow-covered back roads. There you go. Okay. I'm looking forward to hearing from that from you about those. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. See ya.